So my name is Felina. I'm a grateful recovering compulsive overeater. And I thank my higher power who I choose to call God today for my abstinence. Um, and I want to um, thank the folks who are on camera in particular, and anybody who is here at this meeting, anybody who is uh, listening to this meeting, I want to welcome you. Um, I want to get the numbers out of the way. Um, I came into my, my first meeting of Overeaters Anonymous was uh, in January, of course, <laughs> January 5th, uh, 2009. Um, and I became abstinent on uh, March 19th, 2009. Um, so by the grace of the steps and, um, my higher power, God willing on the 19th of March, which is next Saturday, I'll have 13 years of abstinence, which is appropriate. Cause I find myself acting like a teenager very frequently. So, yeah. Um, my top weight, uh, before coming into program was almost 195. It was 194 and a half. So I just want to be very clear about that. Um, and then the last time I weighed myself, I was somewhere between 145 and 150. Um, the numbers also include, I have a sponsor. I am a sponsor. I have worked the steps many times. I go to meetings. I give service at, uh, at, um, at local meetings. I have served as, um, uh, assembly rep. I have served as, um, I've given the service of being a delegate to the world service business conference. I have been a, a delegate co-chair at the world service business conference. I was, um, the vice chair on the national service board when I got into recovery in Greece. Um, I am currently the treasurer of my local intergroup in, um, the uni unity with diversity desert intergroup, um, which is, uh, based in Palm Springs, California. Um, and that's what I want to say about that. Um, I work this program with the desperation of the dying, um, because I am, and I say all those things, not because I miss OA. I say all of those things because, um, I, I'm really committed to my recovery in this program. So <laughs> having said all that, uh, what it was like, um, so I was raised in a home, um, with a, a, a tremendous amount of intergenerational trauma and food for me was the solution. So um, I was raised, uh, my parents were immigrants to this country. Um, we struggled economically enormously. Um, we also struggled um, emotionally and spiritually. And as a um, only child who was very, very sensitive, um, the, the yelling and the fighting that would always happen um, invariably led me to seek comfort which is a really wise thing for a little person to do. Um, and when the um, adults in my family weren't able to give me that sweet comfort, I found it in food. Um, I remember from a very, very young age, um, getting so excited with sweets and getting so excited about food. Um, I remember there would be scenes where I, there would be arguing and fighting in the house and I would be hiding in the closet with, um, with the chocolate bar. And I would be sobbing and the tears would be flowing. And then I would have something sweet because at least that sweet thing was reliable and predictable. And the people in my life weren't reliable and the predictable. Um, sometimes they would give you a hug. Sometimes um, they would shame me. Um, and so um, when I talk about my story, it's really easy for me to leave my body. So that was a survival skill I used as a very young person. 
was to be in my head and to leave my body. And that saved my life um, because of the kinds of abuse um, that I experienced as a young person. So today, one of the amends that I make to myself is that I, I try not to rush. And I try not to rush over the yucky parts um, because I know that my higher power is using me and that maybe one of you, maybe just one person might identify with something that I'm sharing. So it's really important for me to be present to what I'm sharing. So if you find me speaking very slowly, um, that's why. Um, there was no quiet in my home. There was, there was always chaos. Um, we moved around a lot. Um, you know, I still have, um, you know, there, there was a lot of shame around um, not having what other people had. There's a lot of shame around that. Um, and I used food to cope with everything. That was my best friend. Um, and in my culture, you know, I'm Greek, you know, we know food, right? Like probably lots of you can identify with coming from cultures that you know food and, and we knew food. Um, but the relationship that I developed with food and with my body image very early on um, were reflection for me of the trauma in my home. Um, I believe that compulsive overeating saved my life. It is not my problem. My addiction to food is the solution that I used in the absence of a spiritual solution. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> My compulsive overeating is not the problem. It was the spiritual, it was the solution that I used until I could find a spiritual solution. Um, I remember at a very young age, I had a cousin who was much smaller than me and everybody would talk about how cute and petite she was. And I took that to mean that because I wasn't cute, that I wasn't petite, that I wasn't cute. Um, and so I um, developed some pretty heinous body dysmorphia from a very young age. Now today, as a recovered uh, adult woman, I can see my mother was a beautiful woman. My grandmother was a beautiful woman. My aunts and cousins are all beautiful women, but I couldn't own that for myself. I couldn't see that for myself um, because I was always fat. I was always the one who people said, oh, if you just lost a few pounds, you'd be perfect, right? I always got that. Um, nobody, nobody asked me the question of, of why I was using the food or how I was using the food. If it was to, um, hide from the sexual abuse that I had experienced, if it was to feel safer, if it was to feel bigger when there weren't any grownups around, nobody asked me those questions. They didn't know to ask them. By the time I came into OA, I, um, and I did a lot of the things that, um, survivors do. I, uh, used six the minutes. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you very much. Um, I did the I did the things that survivors do, which was I went up into my head and I accomplished a lot. So, um, you know, even though I had experienced homelessness when I was a teenager, I ended up graduating from you know one of the best universities in the country, magna cum laude, getting a graduate degree, all these things, getting really prestigious jobs, and none of it could make me happy because um, because there was a hole in my soul. Um, and so by the time I got into these rooms, um, I wasn't able to keep up that uh, pace anymore and I could barely leave the house. Um, I had gone from being somebody who was living and traveling around the world. I was a diplomat. I had all kinds of good things going on in my life, um, but I was terrified on the inside. And so I, um, 
I had done, you know, all of the diets I had done all of the, um, you know, the, the, the weight loss programs, which I'm not going to get into because they're outside issues and I don't want to take an opinion on them. Um, I had done all the things. And the thing that brought me to my first meeting was actually a crisis that was happening with my parents. So I'm living in Europe. My parents are on the other side of the world. And because my parents were going through a crisis and I didn't know what to do, I went to a meeting. Um, and at that very first meeting, there were about five women there. It was, it was held in, it was, uh, in the suburbs of Greece. Um, and I, I know that this is being recorded and um, I took so much comfort when I first came into these rooms from listening to other speakers uh, being recorded. And I, and so, you know, getting to be on this Givy website and getting to share the ways that other people did for me is just, is such a blessing. Cause when I came in my very first meeting, there were um, four or five middle-aged women. I didn't see any physical recovery, but I felt peace. I felt, oh, I can be myself here. I don't have to do my little song and dance because my whole life I'd been a con artist. I'd been doing a song and dance. I'm like, if I distract you over here with the fact that I speak all these languages and I do all these cool things, you won't know that I'm dying and crying inside. And when I walked into that first room, those women didn't expect me to do a song and dance. They just accepted me. Um, and so I went back because it was the only time in my life I'd ever had an experience like that. Um, I was very desperate when I came into these rooms. And so I did what you people told me to do. Um, that very first week, I called the, um, the person who led the first meeting, I called her and she was really kind of surprised because I heard at that meeting, you know, pick up the phone and call somebody. And I called her. I, I didn't know why I was supposed to call her, right? All of my degrees couldn't help me figure out why I was supposed to call you, but I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to kill myself with food anymore. I was tired of being heinously fat. I was tired of hating my body. I was tired of, of you know, of being so self-obsessed and afraid of the world. And I called that first person and she was, and she talked to me. She was happy to hear from me. And we talked for a while. And she, she made a comment, which I've, I've thought a lot about since she said, you know, you're one of the few people who's picked up the phone and actually called. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? We come into these rooms for fun and for free and people are willing to share their hearts and time with me, which as a kid, I didn't get enough of, I didn't get enough attention and love. And all of a sudden I come into this room and the only qualification is a desire to stop eating compulsively. And you're just going to give me your time and your love. Are you kidding me? That's an amazing deal. And so I did what she told me. I started calling people. I started going to a ton of meetings. I threw myself as addictively into my recovery as I had into all my other compulsions. And I can tell you, I got a lot of other compulsions. I qualify for lots of other fellowships. I'm happy to talk about those <laughs> at another time. Feel free to call me, believe me. But I did what you told me. And one of the first things you told me to do was um, start writing down my food. Now I had of course gone to dietitians and nutritionists and they had told me to keep track of my food and they'd give me this little list that had like, you know, have half a piece of broccoli and a quarter piece of chicken breast and have a half a cookie. And then I'd go back the next week and I'd have, you know, had 29,000 cookies and would feel so bad about myself. But you didn't tell me to do that. You told me to write a food just to write down what I was going to eat during the day. And I'm a diehard sugar addict. And so what I started with was uh, I was going to eat three meals a day, uh, nothing in between. 
And so every morning I would send um, an email to the person I asked to sponsor me because I did ask for help. I did ask somebody to sponsor me. So if you're here and you don't have a sponsor, please get one by the end of the meeting. Seriously. Like, don't put your heads down. <laughs> don't turn off the camera. Just get a sponsor. <laughs> so we're all bozos on the bus. But I tell you, your life will change when you ask for help. Um, and I, I thank God for that first woman who'd said yes to me. <clears throat> so I started sending in my food in the morning. Then my next sponsor said, you need to start sending your gratitudes, writing 10 gratitudes a day. So I started writing 10 gratitudes every night and sending them to my sponsor. Now I had no idea what the hell gratitude was supposed to do, but you guys were, I was starting to hear what you were telling me, which is I have a problem up here in my head that I have, um, I have a disease of perception, right? I have a disease of perception. I can be healthy. I can be able-bodied. I can be warm. I can have healthcare. I can have all the things, but my head's going to go to what the thing I don't have, right? Because I have an, I need an attitude adjustment, which is the theme of this meeting. So my first sponsor told me write 10 gratitudes every night. And I did that. I did everything I was told imperfectly, very imperfectly. And when that first sponsor suggested, saw that I was having problem with sugar and said to me, you know, Felina, you might think about giving sugar up. I wanted to kill her. I literally wanted, I wanted to throw her against the wall and smash her head because sugar had been there for me when none of you people had, when my parents had, when nobody else had, and you were telling me to give up my best friend. So by March 18th, I'd been in the rooms for about three months. And uh, I was committing my food on a daily basis. And every night for dinner, I would write, I was having these three little pieces of dark chocolate because my disease is progressive. And by the time I got here, I didn't, I, I, it was, I needed constantly to have sugar. But you told me, I, I read the big book, which said, I told me I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And so on March 18th, 2009, I had my dinner and I had those three pieces of dark chocolate and I got up to go get a fourth piece. And I was in the rooms by then. And I, and I, I thought, wait a minute, that's, that's lying. I said, I was going to have three and I'm going to have more. And I thought, what if just for one day, what if just for one day I could try to not eat sugar? And I woke up that next morning terrified. And I went to a meeting and I cried through the whole meeting and I came home and I had lunch and I went to another meeting. And I thank God there were lots of in-person meetings in Greece at the time. And at that second meeting, I cried through the whole meeting and I came home and I went to bed that night and I hadn't eaten sugar for one day. Six minutes. Thank you, Eddie. That was my first day of abstinence. And I hope I never forget how important that day was to me. I hope to God, I never forget how important that day was to me. Because if I do, I lose it. I lose everything. So what it's like today, what it's like today is thanks to this program, I was able to be of service to my mother before she died. And actually I moved back from Greece to the US to be of service to her to the woman who I had, uh, who had abused me and who had neglected me because of her own pain. What it's like today is I am in a committed monogamous, monogamous relationship with my fiance 
And I get to be myself. I don't have to hide. He knows who I am. He left the house to go to the farmer's market so that I could be at this meeting. By the, when I came into these rooms, I'd never trusted anybody to be in a committed, intimate relationship. I dated, had a lot of adventures, but I never trusted anybody. What it's like today is that thanks to these rooms, I started my own business and I get to practice these principles in all of my affairs and my higher powers, my business manager. What it's like today is that I have a sponsor and I sponsor and I say yes when I'm asked to give service in these rooms. So when Shelby, and I wanna take, take a special moment to thank Shelby for reaching out to me and asking me to speak and for Terry and Georgia and Lance and Eddie and everybody who's giving service at this meeting. Because when I was asked to speak at 8.15 on a Saturday morning, I, my first thought was, hell no, hell no. This baby girl is sleeping at that time. But I said, yes, because you know what? I want one more day of abstinence. And so I'm willing to go to any lengths today to get that. My life is incredible today. Um, are there problems? Yes. And all of them stem from the fact that I still have difficulty accepting that I am not God. <laughs> I mean, I am God, but I'm not God. I, I need a higher power that is greater than my ordinary thinking, my ordinary level of consciousness. I have had all kinds of outside help. And so I want to say that at the get-go, I've had a lot of work for healing trauma. I've worked with a lot of therapists. I've done all kinds of plant medicines. I have done somatic therapies. I have done other programs. I am committed to my recovery and I have, a, I live a lifestyle today of healing and well-being. And I get to be of service in that way. I, um, my life today includes when I wake, I'm wearing jeans right now and I'm not thinking about how tight they are. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Miracle. Right. Miracle. I, um, when I wake up in the morning, my first thought isn't, oh my God, what did I eat yesterday? How fat is my belly? Cause that was my first thought every single morning. My first thought when I wake up today, when I wake up these days and it's not perfect, I'm still not a morning person guys. <laughs> still that hasn't changed in recovery. Okay. Just because I'm here doesn't mean I'm a morning person, but I start my day by saying uh, the first three steps before my eyes open and thanking my higher power and praying. And then I get out of bed and I see all the things that I don't like in the world because I'm human, right? But I know what to do about it today. I know to call you guys. Um, how much time do we have, Eddie? About two minutes, maybe? Four minutes. One minute, great, okay. Four, four minutes. Four minutes. Yep. Okay, wonderful, great, thank you. So um, I, um, what my program looks like today is, like I said, I, I pray in the morning. I usually do some kind of reading of one of the daily readers. I, uh, depending on what my schedule is like, I might do a morning meeting. I might write. I might go for a walk with my dog, which today I have a dog because I'm not terrified of responsibility, which I was before I came to these rooms. <laughs> some of you can identify. I was terrified, right, of the responsibility. I'm like, I got to feed me and I got to feed him. Yeah, I do. And I haven't broken the dog yet, which is amazing. <laughs> I'm so happy about. I, um, I have um, a sponsor who I reach out to. Um, I go to meetings. I give service at those meetings. I'm in my intergroup. Um, I've been a rep. I'm currently the treasurer. Um, and I say yes when asked to give service because I don't know where the solution to my problem is going to come. It's usually not going to come by me isolating. 
I still have difficulty with answering the phone. I'm great at picking up the phone and calling you. I'm great, right? I'm great at that part. What's much, um, what's, what still is difficult for me is the feeling that if I, I get a call, um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm gonna fall into the scarcity of how am I gonna get all of the things done that I need to do? And so when you call me, I'm extremely grateful because it reminds me that God is in charge and I am not. So when I wake up and I turn my will and my life over the care of God, I have to turn over my time as well. Um, what I'm really dealing with right now in my life is because, you know, when I, when I came into these rooms, my life was very empty. I didn't have much, right? People say in these rooms, you know, what did you destroy in your disease or what did you not create, right? That was me. Um, so today my life is getting fuller and I am constantly in a state of, um, needing to practice humility. Like I'm not going to call everybody back on time. Oh, well, I'm not going to get to do all of my service commitments perfectly. Oh, well, I'm not going to um, show up for all of my clients or my partner or anybody in my life perfectly. Oh, well, and that's really hard because that character defect of perfectionism is a biggie. And that was one of the reasons why I kept my life very small and tried to control it. I've done a lot of inner child work and I continue to do that work because I know that my little girl inside of me is listening and paying attention and she's super happy to be with all y'all. Um, and so I just want to say, you know, if you are new or you're, or you're struggling, um, please take phone numbers at this meeting. If you're listening to the recording, call the secretary, just say hi, <laughs> doesn't matter what you say. I've gone to meetings in many countries and I have reached out to people that were perfect strangers and they have taken me into their homes. They've given me homes. They've given me, they've walked me to meetings. They've, I can't, I, I could spend 17 hours telling you about the blessings that I've gotten in these rooms, but it begins with the humility to say, I can't do it alone. Hiding is not going to get me what I want. I need to be at the front of the room. If you're a newcomer, please volunteer to do the reading at your next meeting. Please introduce yourself. Please call me. Please call anybody in these rooms because we'll be so happy to hear from you. It takes so much courage to be in these rooms. And that's what I think is astonishing is we come in here thinking that we are weak. We are the most courageous people in the world. And given the current predicaments of our planet, I feel so blessed that I just get to plug into you. I just get to plug into my higher power who I communicate with through you guys. And, and I get the answers that I need. I get the love, I get the support, I get the resources, I get the guidance. I get everything that I need when I'm willing to ask for help, but I gotta ask, that's my part. That is my part. I have to drill this again over and over because I know it's easy to come to a Zoom meeting or to listen to a recording and to passively take in this information but that's not where the transformation is. For me, I gotta participate. I gotta do my part. God will do his part. My higher power will do his part, but I have to do my part. My part is picking up the phone. My part is saying, yes, I'll do the reading. My part is saying, yes, I'm gonna call the newcomer. My part is saying, yes, I am the newcomer who needs a phone call, right? Those are the things that I need to do. Today, I know that I'm aging and that I have a body that my higher power wants. And I get to practice acceptance and gratitude for the body that my higher power has given me. I'm gonna leave it at that and um, leave time for sharing. Um, and so thank you so much for letting me share. <laughs>